for you uh, uh, with the Word of God and um, having an opportunity uh, to preach uh, this section that we've been uh, working our way through uh, these last few weeks. And it's... uh, been uh, a few weeks uh, since we've turned the corner on Paul's epistle to the church at Ephesus, where he shifts his focus from indicatives to imperatives. So if you're not there, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We recognize that the first imperative that uh, Paul gives in Ephesians 4 is for the church to walk in a manner worthy. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. That they were to also be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. After establishing the basis of this unity in the first six verses, Paul examines the means of preserving the unity of the body, namely by means of the various gifts given to the church. And so we recognize that as this unity is founded upon the oneness of our triune God, because we are in Christ, we are made able to participate in this spirit-wrought unity. And that it will be maintained according to the fullness of Christ who has filled all things. That he has taken his presence, specially via his human soul, to all created realms. And to see how Paul presents these acts as integral to Christ maintaining the unity of his body in and through the presence of the sent spirit who imparts gifts according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Those gifts we examined the last time I was before you there in verse 11. We saw how each of the offices mentioned have a connection to Christ and his word. The apostles are sent by Christ into all the world to testify of his gospel and and subsequently record the word. The prophets were endowed with the spirit of Christ to interpret the Jewish scriptures in light of Christ's coming and also to foretell the word, as we read this morning in Acts chapter 21. Evangelists were commissioned by the apostles to establish the work of Christ by spreading the word. And pastors as under shepherds to Christ, the chief shepherd, were to minister the word. Teachers as disciples of the great teacher, Christ, the incarnate word, were to expound the word. And last week, I said that as we looked at these verses 11 through 13, we we would understand that we would look at these gifts or this idea of these gifts from the standpoint of their recognized source. It is in him that all Christian teaching originates and through his spirit that it takes hold of men's hearts. He sends the same spirit who raised him from the dead to provide ongoing resurrection life and to enable this growth. He gives these gifts. The focus of these verses uh, 11, 12 and 13 are um, upon uh, uh, these gifts that Christ give. They're they're given in name in verse 11. 
They're given their uh, direct focus or direction in verse 12, and they're given the duration in verse 13. Finally, uh, we'll eventually get four, uh, to the second half or the last part of this section in 14 through 16, and we'll see how the, what is the effect these gifts. How is the Lord working through these gifts? What is the effect of the Lord working through these gifts? As we have recognized in the past, we, we recognize that as we've been reading through the book of Acts, it's commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles, but as we read in, in the rest of the New Testament, these are the Acts of the Risen Lord. This is the Lord reigning through His church, his kingdom through his church. And so uh, as we read, continue to read through Acts as a congregation, let us look for the Lord reigning in those uh, providences that we read about. But follow along from, with me this morning as we read, as I read for us, Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin in verse 7 and I'll read to verse 13. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning and we entreat your help as we come before your word. May your spirit illuminate it to us. That we may with great joy not just be hearers, but doers also. To your glory alone we seek these things and we pray them in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're looking in, at this section as, as the directed focus of these gifts. What, how does Christ direct these gifts to the church? And we're going to look at it primarily or uh, only through uh, this idea of design. This being part two is turned into now part two of three, as the next time I'm before you will address and see the duration and the direction of this directed focus. But this morning we're going uh, to look at the design. You know, uh, growing up, my grandfather in his old age was a woodworker. I wore my grandfather tie this morning uh, just for the occasion. It's as close as I'll ever get to a prop. So there you go. He had all sorts of tools. I remember when we were kids, we'd go to the grandma and grandpa's house every Sunday evening for dinner and all the cousins were around and we'd get, uh, we'd pretty much find ourselves in what was called the den because it had a TV. It had also all of the secondhand toys they had, but it also had some of his woodworking tools there. 
and they were of all sorts. Uh, as a kid, they were all hammers to me, but uh, to him, they had a specific design and purpose. My dad, as you know, many of you know, worked construction, and I remember finding in the garage, uh, probably one summer day, um, uh, in what looked like a strip of bullets. They were all in this plastic thing, and they're all these short little bullets, and what does a, a young boy do when he finds a strip of bullets? He takes a hammer to him, of course. And so like any smart kid, I set it out and you know I looked away while I did it but man I I smacked one hard enough and bam and the ringing in my ears um, I was glad that although we had an attached garage there uh, really wasn't an easy access to it and I don't remember anybody hearing it or rushing in to see if I had shot myself uh, but I'd come to find out that these bullets or these blanks are used in driving fasteners into concrete with a nail gun. I didn't, I didn't know the use or their design, and so I came up with my own. It's to this idea and this illustration that I like in our passage this morning that we would understand the design given to these gifts or the intended use of these gifts that Christ gives the church so that we might not be as um, wayward as I was as a young boy and using things as they should not be used or uh, taking implication from them and what can happen from this passage is, as I will explain is add uh, more upon the conscience of us as believers that the word does not demand. And so our time begins this morning with some retrieval. Why do I say retrieval? Well, you'll notice in your Bible, unless you have a King James version, that there is only one comma that separates in verse 12 the three prepositional phrases. It says in, he, uh, in verse 12, it says, For the equipping of the saints, no comma, for the work of the service, comma, to the building up of the body of Christ. Putting the second phrase, the building up, or uh, uh, the equipping, or excuse me, the, uh, the work of service, putting that second phrase in a subordinate role to the first phrase, with the third being the purpose of each. So our, our Bibles read that, uh, and I've been with intention not reading it according to its punctuation, and I'll explain it here shortly, but it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Well, this view is uh, what we can call or what I'm calling the modern view. As it first appeared in English Bible translations in the NASB in the 1960 version. Prior to that, uh, there uh, in English translations maintained a second comma in between uh, saints and works of service. There was also a different a difference of uh, translation for the word equipping. We'll discuss that also later this morning. 
I, I, I want to bring this up because we're going to address this uh, verse as it existed in prior English translations. Because I believe it captures the design of the gifts that Christ has given his church. And though Charles Hodge, writing in 1865, addresses alternate readings, and this is one of the alternate readings he addresses, he actually addresses five different alternate readings in his commentary before preferring a fifth reading which comports with the older translation. The question I think you may be thinking is, oh, have we entered into some history lesson that Nate is on a kick on? Well, why, why would I bring this up? Is it worth our time this morning? Oh Lord, I pray it is, but I believe it is because in following the modern translation, many a Christian has fallen into what Charles Hodge had echoed of Calvin's corrective. Charles Hodge quoting John Calvin writes, He could not, says Calvin, exalt more highly the ministry of the word than by attributing to it its effect for that higher work. For what higher work can there be to build up the church that it may reach its perfection? They therefore are insane who neglecting this means hope to be perfect in Christ, as is the case with, with fanatics who pretend to secret revelations of the spirit and the proud who content themselves with the private reading of scripture and imagine they do not need the ministry of the church. And then Hodge continuing in his word says, if Christ has appointed the ministry for the edification of his body, it is in vain to expect that end to be accomplished in any other way. Reading the text in modern translations has led to many pastors to assume that their role is mere managerial or organizational. You've probably never picked up a how-to pastor's book or, or how-to-minister book, probably. But if you ever thumb through one or heard a discussion on it, oftentimes it drifts to... Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, and it says pastors are to be equippers of the saints for the work of the ministry, for their ministry. So that the shift in focus from the ministry of the word to the equipping of the saints comes at the cost to the focus of the ministry of the word. And as I mentioned earlier, the focus are of these gifts as they're mentioned, because we recognize there's other offices mentioned in the church, namely deacons, but it not mentioned here in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, because these are related to the word of Christ. They're all related to the ministry of the word. And so the idea is that pastors are in the equipping business, not the ministry business, that our ministry is equipping. And not this hasn't always met to its further or let's say we could say logical or its ultimate conclusion in every um, congregation where it's taught that ministers are to equip the saints for the work of their ministry. But anecdotally, I know growing up for myself, the focus in this passage is it being 
translated in the modern translation as the equipping of the saints for the work of their ministry. The question then that begs here is, what's my ministry? As, as a congregant, not as a, not as a pastor, but as a congregant. Well, what's my ministry? Well, most of the churches, or at least one of the main churches I grew, grew up in, uh, had a very long list of all the ministries I could be a part of and minister to people. It became a shift of focus away from the ministry of the church on the Lord's Day service through the means of grace as administered by God's servant or Christ's servant to my ministry. That I engaged in real ministry because I was equipped to do so. Again, this has further led to a downgraded view of the activities of the Lord's Day service, whereby they become secondary to the real ministry of the saints. Whatever you do after this is the real ministry of the saints. And so this time becomes exchanged with your ministry. Again, not everybody follows these thoughts to their conclusive ends. I, I, I'm thankful that, uh, that that doesn't happen. I'm thankful that there are many uh, gifted pastor who have taught this passage in, in a way that maintains the single comma. And they don't do so to the detriment of the word of the ministry of the word. But I do think they do so to. Um. They can do so to the confusion of the saints, as well as the laying upon the consciences of the saints, that which is not here in God's word. So let, let's address the design of Christ in giving these gifts to his bride. As I mentioned, there's three clauses here in verse 12 for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. This first prepositional clause for the equipping of the saints. Here we find the first issue related to the retrieval. The King James Version translates the Greek word katartismon as perfecting. Not as equipping, but as perfecting. It says for the perfecting of the saints. For the edifying of the saints. For the mending, for the, for the joining together. The most natural understanding of the term in this context is that of gathering, uniting, or ordering the saints into visible communion and mutual cooperation with one another. What Calvin, Owen, and Hodge all seem to promote is an understanding that is quite consistent with the context. In the only two other places in the New Testament where the term is used with application to it, it's used with application to the corporate church as its meaning. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, you don't need the turn there. I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians 1.10 in, in the King James, that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord has given me to edification. 
that NASB uses the word building up and not to destruction. These words that are uh, associated here with the same Greek word that's translated here, the equipping, you can see that if it was for the perfecting of the saints, for the building up of the saints, for the gathering or uniting, uniting of the saints, that second clause fits in coordination with the first one, not in subordination. So we must recognize that oftentimes translation is interpretation. And I don't mean to question, to have you question your Bibles in every aspect. I believe, again, the ministry of the word happens now so that you may hear it from me. And you can go home as good Bereans and study this for yourself. But as it is, you need not fret as the spirit will guide you as you read your word and read the word in private, but lest you uh, fall short of the goal here, which is obviously the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love, you would not wantonly, easily uh, be absent to the preaching of the word. T. David Gordon, who wrote a helpful article and relate, or actually a paper related to this, alongside uh, another one I read by uh, uh, Dr. Barcelos. T. David Gordon says contextually there is there is the great Pauline picture of a body consisting of many parts with Christ as the organizing and governing head. Somehow he manages to join and knit together the whole body in such a way that each part is working properly. So again, you if equipping is not the best translation of that word and it's more about perfecting and we relate back to the actual source of the gifting we see that Christ is the source so Christ is the organizer Christ is the equipper and Christ is the one who works through his gifts to join and knit together the whole body The second prepositional phrase is for the work of service or uh, for the work of the ministry, as it's in the older translation. As we look at this idea of work for service, these again, uh, back to the words, the, the original language uh, that it's translated from, we can see that these works uh, of service, the um, focus there on service and work can be translated in many different ways and context drives that. And so we must ask ourselves as we read scripture, how is work and service related to one another when they find themselves closely proximate? There is a service or a ministry that is a general ministry of the body of Christ, whereby each one of us being gifted by God through the many providences of our lives to minister to each other. We will certainly talk about this ministry of mutual love and affection and mercy. 
But the question before us is, is do the work, this work of service relate to specific tasks given to specific gifted individuals? Not that all of ministry is consolidated in one person, but a specific ministry is the ministry, the ministry of the word. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6 and we'll see that this task some devoted themselves to. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It was for these apostles to devote themselves to the ministry of the word. They, they were be, this nascent church, this infant church was organizing according to the wisdom of Christ. And so establishing a diaconate, those that would serve tables, so that those who were given the preaching of the word could devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Keep your uh, finger in Acts and turn to Acts 20. As I said last week, as we read this passage, it, uh, it will do well to remind ourselves of what Paul had said, exhorted to the Ephesian elders. So we're moving from apostles now to elders. And we see in Ephesians chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. He says, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you public from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course, the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of men. He's, Paul says that he's been set aside for the gospel of the grace of God. And then he's going to then set aside 
through the authority of Christ, these Ephesian elders for certain things. He says for, in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flocks. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years. I did not cease to admonish, uh, admonish, admonish each one with tears. And in verse 32, he says, I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And he says again in verse 35. He says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, we recognize that this ministry that's been given to the apostles and then in this instance from apostle to elders as a ministry of the word for a specific purpose to strengthen the weak and to remember the words of Christ. Here in Ephesians, Paul restates his prescription of the necessity of the ministry of the word and the life of a Christian as to its continued growth and strengthening. And as to the telic end of the work of the risen Christ, that telic end is that we all would come together, attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This beatific vision of the Son of God is, is the telic end of the work of the risen Christ, that He makes all who are not like Him and translates them to be like him so that they may behold him. And they may give glory to the Father through the Son and the Spirit. This work of service is to the building up of the body of Christ. This last prepositional phrase here is another help toward distinguishing between the design of the gifts given in verse 11 and the general service afforded to all saints. Why? Because this goal, this direction of the ministry of the word is the same goal as the communion of saints. If you want to know how uh, the older writers spoke of general Christian service or general Christian ministry, they talked about it in the terms communion of saints. Spend some time today, as, as I'm sure you will in your word, but take out your confessions and look up the chapter of communion of saints. You'll find much encouragement in there as to your work of service. But here we see that this goal is to the building up of the body of Christ at the end of verse 12. And at the end of verse 16 causes the growth 
of the body for the building up of itself in love. Coming prior to that, it says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. This is what's been given to you, saints. It's not to take something away from you. It's to show you what you've been given, one, in the worship service of the Lord through his appointed officers and what you have by way of that nourishment and the effects of it in your own life as a child of God. We recognize that the two metaphors being used here, one of architecture and anatomy, that there is a building up and then there is a body, whereby both the participation uh, the saints have in the life of the triune God through Christ and the fashioning of the saints together as a holy temple of worship. So as we're being built up, as we're being built up by the body of Christ, by the gifts that he's been given to us, that have been given to us in the church, to the building up of the body of Christ, we recognize that in the body of Christ, the metaphor plays out that we participate in the life of the triune God through Christ. For we are his body. And then we're also being built up. This body is being built up. We're being fashioned together as a holy temple of worship you have access and you have your action access through Christ action of worship what we see here in uh, this passage about equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, or as the older translation put it, the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry to the edification of the body of Christ. We recognize that these three designs of the gifts that were given to the church in verse 11 will come into realization through the same one who actuated them. And that in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This chapter as a whole presents the great uh, tripartite fit picture of Christ the head, the gifted ones as his, as his special ascension gift to the church. And the parts, each of the three has responsibility. The ascended head has responsibilities that he performs. The parts each perform their particular roles and the gifted ones perform theirs. So we recognize that by virtue of Christ's ascension, descending and ascending, he gives these offices as gifts to the body toward the eschatological end of what Adam forfeited, a perfected progeny. We recognize in the covenant of works when Adam sins, he sins on behalf of all men. He sins on behalf of all his children. All who would be born of Adam are cursed in Adam. What was profited to him was that if he had perfect perpetual obedience, that his children would benefit 
from his federal headship. And so we see the great and wonderful glory that the second Adam who has come and who has not failed, who has not forfeited, who has not failed his covenant of works, but has succeeded where Adam failed. And so in Christ there can be and there is a perfected progeny. Brothers and sisters, this is us. And if we don't take joy in a Lord's Day service whereby Christ is working upon you, fitting you more for heaven, fitting you more for his knowledge, fitting you more for his presence. And with as, as amazing as that is, and that's probably the ultimate amazement, we also recognize that he does so as he fits us one to another. Growing the body. Growing and building us up to one another in love. So that we may not be offended that this ministry of service or this work of service is not yours as a, as a saint. But that you may take joy and rejoice that Christ has given it to his appointed officers for your benefit. And yes, there is a work of service. This mutual love and affection, these acts of mercies, these things that we do ordinarily. Look not for your ministry. Look to Christ and obey him. There in it, you will serve one another. There in it, you will grow as a body in love. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning that we can consider such things as gifts, that which we don't deserve. And certainly, Lord, as we think upon the means by which you build us up, it is by your Spirit, but it is also through these vessels of clay. May we never cease praying, Lord, that you continue to work through them. That you would bear us up, that we would not fall into these uh, pitfalls that Paul warned the Ephesian elders. That there would not be one among ourselves who would rise up to lead away the sheep. Lord, this can only be done by your preserving hand by your abiding presence, by the blessing of your gifts. We ask these things, Lord, to be worked in us by your spirit. And may we willingly come before you as the great physician and take joy in the knowledge that you are fitting us for a place that we are not to be something that you have promised us to be. We thank you and we give praise to you in Christ's name. Amen.